0: Welcome to Trashy Divorces, where unfortunately, it's Valentine's Day, which is like kryptonite
1: to us. What are you talking about? <laughs> Fortunately, it's Valentine's Day. Can you feel the love that's surrounding everything today? Such trashy goodness. Hi, everybody. I'm Alicia. <laughs> I'm Stacy. It is Valentine's Day, and we have so much trashy good happening over here at Trashy Divorces this week. Thanks for joining us for another episode. We're bringing two stories out of our Patreon vault today that are oddly valentine
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were trying to figure out like how best to capture. And I was like, actually, I think I already did a story that kind of works for this for me. So here we are. Tell me about the story you're giving us this week. Sure. Charles Adams, who was an illustrator who did New Yorker cartoons for decades that turned into television's The Adams Family. He has some trashy divorces. The much-beloved... Adam's family. He did. He had a
1: weird life. It was a fascinating story. Cool stuff. Who do you have for us? This week, I have made of moonbeams, Carol Soroyan Mathow. She is one of the lesser known swans. So over on Patreon, we've gone through this voyage. Truman Capote's. The swans and ladies who lunch. Coterie of Mm -hmm. society women that he. Carol's my favorite one. And her story is just so delicious. You may have never heard Of Carol math out, but I guarantee after you listen to the story, you will never forget her. So let's keep the love going. I have a little bit of trashy love and thank yous to distribute. We got the most magnificent. We did. Trash Panda Magnet. Marie Trash Twinette. (laughs) Let them eat trash. Thank you, Sam. It is on our fridge now. You Mm. are... Yeah, thank you very much. Our magnet heroine of the week. Thank you. And Olivia, so, so crafty. I went to our P.O. box and there was a whole box of woo. Olivia, furthering my manifestation of all things woo, has handcrafted a set of runes for me, which (laughs) is so much fun. Olivia, they're beautiful. Thank you. You are just a crafty goddess, you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really adding to the oddity here at TDHQ. Thanks. <laughs> we are nothing if not a little bit odd. A little bit odd. I love it. So, Alicia, yeah we we were
0: contacted by someone, and we're going to get to the magic mirror, but first
1: we have a special. We do trashy divorces. it's your Delilah, Delilah voice on. <laughs> Dedication. Helena, this <laughs> one's for you from Zeph, and Zeph wants you to know. That you are the most wonderful surprise that the universe has ever bestowed on her, and she cannot wait to marry you. Hmm. Happy Valentine's Day to Helena from Zeph. I love bringing love. You do. We would normally bring so much trash, so to bring the love is very exciting. We both had our our hearts, our little cold hearts melted quite a lot with that oh, email. They so. grew three sizes. Happy Valentine's Day to you both, Helena and Zeph, and Mm -hmm. happy Valentine's Day to all of you. All of you. Trash pandas out there. Thanks for joining us another week. Before we get to the episode, we do have some thanks to give out for our new Patreon friends who joined us this week. Yes. Thank you to everyone who has joined us at
0: patreon.com slash trashydivorces. This week, that includes Jesse, Kirsten F., Tara, Mary H., Anna L., and
1: Carrie M., Etta R, Shelly O, Kate A, Mojo Gurmy, and Rhiannon P. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, Stacy, I think we have some funny valentines, some sweet comic valentines that make us smile in our hearts this week. What should we do? I believe at this juncture we should go, go, go. Oh, Trash Candy Connoisseurs, we have something so much fun happening in a little surprise series.
0: These are going to be fun, yeah. For
1: October. Stacy, what are you bringing us today?
0: It's Adam's Family Values. Yeah, it is! Uh, yeah, so fittingly for the spooky season, we have some true Hollywood stories sort of things planned from the cast of the 1960s TV show The Addams Family. So to kind of get us situated in that world... Because, like, I remember the show from when I was a kid. It was syndicated.
1: Oh, yeah. TBS, yeah.
0: And the monsters. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, it was t- exactly TBS. So, wanted to get some background. Where did this come from? How did this start? Who thought of this? Tell me. All right. So, obviously, this is this provides a direct through line to artists, like modern artists like Edward Gorey, Lemony Snicket's illustrator, Brett Helquist. Uh, As well as some TV characters like NCIS's Abby Shuto, played by Polly Perrette. We're going to begin with the creator of the Adams family concept, which began not as a television show, but as a decades long series of New Yorker cartoons. Really? Yes. Huh. Luckily for us, today's subject had a couple of trashy divorces under his belt, too, one of which you have already touched on. I did,
1: and the stars fell on Alabama episode. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Because they didn't
1: get a Reno divorce, they got a. Mobile, Alabama divorce. They did. uh, Limestone
0: Mm -hmm. County, Alabama, actually. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now for the sing-songy part. So put your witch's shawl on. Grab a broomstick. You can crawl on because we're going to pay a call on the Charles Adams family. Yup.
1: Iconic. Oh, I love it. I can't go. Go, go, go.
0: Iconic. All right. Charles Adams, distantly related to John and John Quincy Adams. No Um, way. Charles, of course, has two Ds. Adams with two Ds. All right, also related to noted suffragist and social reformer Jane Addams. No. Also with 2Ds.
1: I had no idea.
0: Was born in Westfield, New Jersey on January 7th,
1: 1912. Oh, Capricorn Man. Capricorn Man. Yeah.
0: And was known as a rascal among his neighborhood friends as a kid. Rascal.
1: We probably got that word from Shakespeare. What a
0: rascal. (laughs) As a boy, a favorite gag of his was to climb into the dumbwaiter in his home on the ground floor, Mm -hmm. haul himself up to the third floor where his grandmother's room was,
1: (gasps) No, And then jump out and scare her. Oh, my God. I bet Grandma loved that. <laughs> I bet he probably wasn't very quiet. He had to build up that skill. I would think. I wonder if Grandma just pretended to be surprised I for can, all those times. I can also,
0: like, because he, in his telling of it, he would, he would haul himself up to the top and then knock on the door. So Grandma <laughs> would open. Yeah.
1: Big surprise. Oh, <laughs> it's a yeah. ghost.
0: Okay. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There was a nicely maintained. <laughs> who could be in there? You no, know, do you want to hear something funny? This is mm. apropos to nothing. Tell me. My grandparents in the house that they lived in in Aniston had an intercom system, but I was young, like sure. two or three. I don't know what a fucking intercom system is. Sure. And so my uncles, who were all teenagers, like if they knew I was playing in a certain room, they would go into another room in the house and use the intercom, right? And you wouldn't Ooh, know. Alicia. Oh my god. I'm a ghost. Why are you playing parcheesy that way? Let John win. Like, I would be haunted by these sounds. And then one day I realized it was just my dickhead uncles.
0: <laughs> I think my brother did that one time with a walkie talkie while I was in the shower. Like, oh, he put shit. It yeah, that in the would be scary. Outer room. And yeah, I couldn't see. There was, yeah, okay. All right. Anyway,
1: sorry. Please continue with your story.
0: Charles Adams. So there was a nicely maintained cemetery close to his home, and one of his joys as a child was exploring in it. Mm. His early art had some fairly macabre themes. Uh, he apparently did a long series. Again, World War I was happening when he was a kid. Long series of drawings of Kaiser Wilhelm II dying in all sorts of gory and graphic ways. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> In reality, I learned, I mean, because Germany lost World War I and Kaiser Wilhelm was forced to abdicate the throne. Right. He fled to the Netherlands, lived into the 1940s, and was avidly anti-Nazi. Seriously? He started, he was Nazi curious early on, but I mean, a lot of Americans were too.
1: Interesting. But, yeah.
0: No, nah, he was super anti-Nazi even after they invaded the, ne- the Netherlands. Huh. Okay. So for some indication of how influential Adams' work was, he grew up on Elm Street,
1: <laughs> the Nightmare
0: on Elm Street horror franchise is a nod to that That wow. is that is why they named it that I had no idea He enjoyed drawing from an early age And his father, who I think sold pianos for a living Maybe was an executive at a piano company He had studied architecture So he, he wanted to be Ted Mosby, but ended up
1: Selling pianos
0: Door-to-door piano salesman, I'm sure Fantastic <laughs> I'm imagining that's God It's a
1: big cart You gotta
0: 1912. Like, just loving all of this. Okay, so Dad had studied architecture, where obviously you do a lot of drawing of interesting things. So he definitely encouraged his his young man to do this. So in high school, Charles illustrated stories for the student literary magazine, and then he attended Colgate University, University of Pennsylvania, where he earned his degree, and the Grand Central School of Art in New York City. Awesome. He said mostly what he did at that school in New York City was look at people, which. That's good work.
1: Totally well, makes sense. Along
0: the way, there were a number of houses and buildings that he would later recall as inspirations for the Adams Family Mansion. In Hamilton, New York, where Colgate College is, there's a property at 52 Maple Avenue that local legend says is
1: the Adams is Family is the House. basis of the Adams Family House. Interesting.
0: You can look it up. I'll put the link in. I guess in 2018, it was almost sold to be torn down, or it was almost torn down by the owners. Oh, no. And. I think someone swooped in and bought it to save it forever. Let's I think hope. it may have been student housing.
1: Interesting.
0: Like it may have been broken up into apartments. Okay. College Hall at UPenn is like this giant, I guess, Gothic thing. I'm not super clued in on architecture specifics, but we'll also post some links to that. Amazing looking building, by the way. You can kind of imagine those two, the one in Hamilton and the one at UPenn kind of smooshed together. But there was also a childhood incident in young Charles's life.
1: Different than busting in on grandma?
0: Well, yeah, he got caught B&E. He was no. trying to... There was this, like, abandoned Victorian house at the corner of Elm and Dudley Street. Mm-mm. It is still there. I am happy to report. So, like, I went to Google Street View, and and it opens up, because I wasn't sure it was still there. And it opens up in a very normal, like, 1980s construction home or something. And But it's an inner... There are four corners, and I, like third click and i'm like whoa yeah that's that's the adams family
1: house interesting mm-hmm. he didn't steal anything he just wanted to go in and look at he it it was unoccupied
0: yeah he was i think he and his friends may have used the shed behind it as their clubhouse but anyway they drugged in the cops, Kidding. yeah, uh, okay. drugged in exactly. So it's it is like it's kind of a kick to think about cops in like early 1920s collaring ten or twelve year old Charles.
1: You broke in just to look at the house, dude. Taking yeah, him, I just wanted to see it.
0: Taking him home to a stern talking to from his parents. I needed
1: to check out that dumb waiter.
0: I mean, I'm sure kids back then were like finding places to hide out and smoke cigarettes or drink oh, alcohol yeah. or whatever. For sure. All right. After college, he goes to work helping in the layout department for True Detective Magazine. And one of his really? jobs, True Story, was to retouch corpse photos to remove blood and gore from them. Oh, my. So, like, a perfect assignment for the boy with the macabre sense of humor, and also one that he really chafed at, once saying, a lot of those corpses were more interesting the way they were. Oh. <laughs> His first New Yorker <laughs> cartoon appeared on February 6th, 1932, and he just freelanced with them for a while. Like, and it, these weren't Adams Family pictures. It wasn't until 1938 that he drew the first of a long series that would come to be known as the Adams Family. This isn't even what got him hired at the New Yorker, though. What got him hired was, it was called the Downhill Skier, and it's, you know, a ski slope. And there's, like, the, the two ski tracks. Okay. And then they loop around a tree, and the skier is further down, and a skier above him is looking back. Like, a skier going uphill is, is looking back, like, how? As though, like, the skier had somehow gone both sides of the tree. It was, Sure. Anyway, it's very funny. He was known for gags <laughs> like that. Like, it just... Okay. Like, things that make you go, hmm. So, anyway, that's what got him hired. It's hard to explain visual stuff, but... Anyway, apparently that's a very, very famous cartoon that is referenced, repeated, like all famous cartoonists reference it somewhere in their work.
1: Interesting. Because it was
0: that good. All right. So he would draw for The New Yorker for more than 50 years. 50 years? Until his death in 1988. He was wow. like the big man of cartooning there. I mean, it was... Anyway.
1: Charles Adams. Go see Chuck.
0: He produced about 1,300 cartoons for publication in The New Yorker. Wow. And I saw two. I saw this two ways. One said fifty eight were Adams family, and one said one hundred and fifty were Adams family. So I'm wondering if there may have been some that had similar themes, but maybe weren't specifically those characters. So either fifty eight or one hundred and fifty featured these unnamed characters in this unnamed family. I feel like Wednesday and Morticia maybe were named earlier and there may have been some marketing some like branding stuff with those characters but they really didn't get names or significant personality development until the TV show in 1964.
1: Oh, okay. Interesting.
0: Yeah, like Gomez and Pugsley and like they didn't have but I, I do, I th- feel like Wednesday I feel like I saw somewhere that in the early 60s there was there were some branding stuff with Wednesday and Morticia. Gear. Okay. Anyway, so this family presented a A dark but humorous inversion of the middle-class moors of the day. In one cartoon, the daughter, later named Wednesday, is on her bed, kicking and screaming and crying, and her mother's in the doorway, looking on, explaining, she's mad because they put her on the honor roll. (laughs) In another, we're at the exterior of the mansion, and we can see the neighbors in their yard, busy doing normal yard work, planting flowers, all that, while Uncle Fester is in the mansion's yard using a file to sharpen the tips of the wrought iron fence.
1: Perfect.
0: Another shows the whole family exiting a chartered bus, the clearly rattled bus driver looking on. Wednesday and Pugsley play doll by feeding the dolls into a doll-sized guillotine and chopping their heads off. Oh my god. When Grandma bakes cookies, (sighs) they're shaped into bats and skull and crossbone patterns. In one Christmas panel, Pugsley is putting more wood into a raging fireplace while Wednesday uses a bellows to add air. (laughs) <laughs> in the doorway the parents say the little dears they still believe in santa claus Aww. <laughs> <laughs> all right it was dark it was funny and eventually television producer david levy approached adams about adapting it for television this led to names and characteristics and apparently adams didn't love gomez he wanted to call him like Rapelli or something some play on like repellent interesting but oh and um Pugsley was going to be pubert, but the censors thought that was a little too. A little too, too close. A little too close. So, all right. So Gomez and Morticia, Wednesday and Pugsley, Uncle Fester, Grandmama, Cousin It, Lurch and Thing, a disembodied hand that acts as a servant. So the actor who played Lurch also played the thing, also played Thing and had separate contracts for each.
1: No way. That's <laughs> genius. I, I dig it.
0: Patrick Sauer wrote for Smithsonian Magazine about the impact of Charles Adams and his creation in 2019. Quote, since it was basically a live-action cartoon, the show got away with showing a husband and wife with a deep, burning passion for one another. Ravished by her bewitching sensuality, Gomez lusted after Morticia, kissing her up and down her arms, and they shared frequent smoldering glances. They are generally considered the first television couple who gave the appearance of an active sex life. I had no idea. Whoa. Yeah. And then like that piece, we'll link to it. That piece goes on to quote, like the musical director for one of the later Adams family productions. Who He says like, you wish that your parents had shown that much openness to touch.
1: Interesting. I just thought
0: that was very moving in a, in a weird way. All right. So even though the show only lasted two seasons, 64 episodes, it became a cult classic and lasted decades in syndication, which is how we saw it as kids. Spawned animated series, movies. There was a, apparently a an ill-fated uh, Halloween special one year on TV. Oh, my. It didn't go. It's like the Star Wars Christmas special or
1: something. Yikes.
0: Not good. Numerous attempts to revive it in some format for television. I think a 10-year-old Jodie Foster voiced Pugsley in the animated series. That is incredible. In the 70s.
1: Oh, my God.
0: So for the rest of October, we're going to have stories from the real lives of the show's original cast, including Jackie Coogan, who played Uncle Fester, Lisa Loring, who played Wednesday, and Carolyn Jones, who played Morticia.
1: That's not all. We have other surprises to you.
0: And that's not all. Dun, 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 dun. Charles himself made a handsome living as a cartoonist and was certainly a man about town in New York. His apartment overlooked the MoMA Sculpture Garden, and he owned a Bugatti and a Bentley, Oh wow! Okay. One of his hobbies—no sport for a poor man—was racing sports cars. Oh, fantastic! He was seen on the arms of glamorous women like Greta Garbo, Joan Fontaine, and even Jackie O after yeah, he the was. assassination. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And was described as a quote, well-dressed, courtly man with silvery backcombed hair and a gentle manner. Huh. Also, just as a lady killer, which is basically the TLDR of the sentence I just said.
1: Yeah, for real.
0: Charles Adams had three marriages. He met Barbara Jean Day in 1942 and was immediately drawn to her. She is said to have strongly resembled his Morticia character.
1: Interesting. Yup. Really? So
0: that marriage lasted eight years, but she finally walked when Charles, who was determined to be child-free forever, refused to adopt a baby with her.
1: (gasps) Oh.
0: She would go on to marry New Yorker journalist and writer John Hersey with whom she had a daughter, Brooke, and was stepmom to his four kids and seems to have lived a happy life until her death in 2007 at the age of 88. Well, good
1: so. for Barbara. Yeah. Go, Babs. <clears throat> Excellent.
0: We all we all get what we want in the we end. Lo-
1: we love the happy stories around here.
0: You know, I just realized his first two wives were both named Barbara.
1: Okay, so Charles, meanwhile. It's a lot less to remember in the sexy bedroom scenes. <laughs> uh, and they
0: both looked like Morticia. Okay, so Charles, meanwhile, would soon fall hard for another Morticia lookalike, and this one was as diabolical a woman as he could have ever imagined. Estelle B. Barb, Barbara Barb, has actually already made an appearance on Trashy Divorces. Oh,
1: this is the Alabama divorce. Yes. Yeah. um,
0: Back when you covered Alabama as the divorce capital of the nation for 15 years or whatever it was, uh, mid-century. She was a lawyer. And somehow she finagled her way into owning the rights to the quirky family of characters he was creating for The New Yorker.
1: Those are some lusty arm kisses.
0: All right, so this was before the TV show, but when Charles died in 1988, Barbara, not his third wife T, who he was married to at the time of his death, Mm -mm. was the executor of his estate. No. After securing the rights to his intellectual property, she convinced him to take out a $100,000 life insurance You're policy. in danger, Chuck. Yeah, he had a talk with a lawyer friend about all of that. And later the lawyer friend said, I told him the last time I had word of such a move was in a picture called Double Indemnity starring Barbara Stanwyck. Stanwyck. Which yeah. I called to his attention. And that's, of course, she's plotting to murder her husband.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Surprisingly, it seems that all was not well in the Adams-Barb marriage. Somehow, <laughs> surprisingly, somehow Barbara met Henry Hopkinson, a British politician and diplomat. So um, she and Charles married in '54. Okay. In January of 1956, Henry Hopkinson was elevated to the Baron Colleton. And what is sexier than a newly created peerage? I ask
1: you. I mean, it, if it was Chumley, then maybe.
0: Barb had no choice but to fling herself to Limestone County, Alabama, Oh my which God! at the time had no residency requirement. Sure. I think the law stipulated that you had to be an Alabama resident, and so the lawyers would, I think you- For like a day. One yeah. of the others, the lawyer had her get a library card at the Mobile oh, Library. Onassis, yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Something like that, you know. So the lawyers were fine with defrauding the courts to get their- well, Alabama
1: bucks. made it the system pretty ripe for defrauding. Yes. It wasn't; it w- wasn't hard. They didn't so, have to scratch. It wasn't a head scratcher.
0: No, and it was intended to be what it was. For okay, sure. so Barb was granted a divorce within 48 hours of arrival in Alabama in 1956, and in December of the same year, she became Lady Colliton no! after secretly marrying Baron Colleton in London. So, less than two years married. Holy cats! To Charles Hopkinson the Baron Colleton, would die in 1996. Barb would live until 2004 when she was perhaps 85. It's not, we don't quite know. The Adams Family movies well, from the- All 19- the potions
1: keep you younger.
0: <laughs> the Adams Family movies from the 1990s include a thanks to the Lady Colleton in the credits. She authorized sale of the rights- really? To Orion Pictures on the condition that Scott Rudin produce. And it's really strange to me that she continued to have those, like, she continued to hold rights over her ex-husband's intellectual property all those years, even after they were divorced. Even That after is
1: remarkable. Even after them... she tried to kill
0: him? Alleged. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, even after both of them remarried, like, he apparently never fought. Huh. But again, he was comfortably wealthy. Like, I sure. don't know.
1: Interesting.
0: I have no, I don't know if they stayed friends I like I I literally don't know anything about that and I think there's probably a lot more to the story and I I may order one of his biographies to to learn more cuz
1: Interesting. It is.
0: It really is. So his final marriage in 1980 was to Marilyn Matthews Miller. Oh, so he
1: waited a long time.
0: Yeah. Huh. Um but I mean he's he was a man about town like
1: Oh yeah, he had to He
0: was not lonely. He I had to
1: TLDR he was not lonely if a he of decades. did not want to
0: be lonely, I believe, is, <laughs> I believe is the thing. All right, so 1980, he marries Marilyn Matthews Miller, T, to her friends. They got married in a pet cemetery in Watermill, New York. No. With the bride in a black dress, carrying a black feather fan. Quote, he thought it would be nice and cheerful, she explained later. She joked that the pet cemetery would make a fine final resting place, and Charles is said to have replied... I know it's a bit impractical, but there are worse places and his ashes would eventually be interred in a pet cemetery on the grounds of their upstate New York estate. No way! Following the heart attack that kills him eight years later. Oh my God. T, a former model and champion of animal rights, would compile the book The World of Charles Adams in 1991 and establish and endow the T and Charles Adams Foundation in 99, dedicated to interpreting and sharing Charles's artistry into the future She passed away in 2002. So that is more or less Charles Adams, creator of the Adams family. I had no idea. A dapper dude who lived an extraordinary life by making funny off-kilter art that ended up creating space for what we think of as goth today, but also probably just making room for the sensibilities of the weird kids back in the ultra staid 1950s. So this from Charles's New York Times obituary, I think kind of sums it up best. So explaining Mr. Adams's popularity, the critic John Mason Brown once wrote in the Sunday Review that he, quote, invites us to enter a world which has nothing to do with the one in which we live, except that in the most glorious, undeviating and giddy fashion, it turns all of its values topsy-turvy. I love it. I love it, too. Hell yeah.
1: I love it. I can't wait for the series. It's going to be so much fun. I
0: think so, too. Yeah. Thank you, Charles Adams, for just, like, lighting a match.
1: To the macabre.
0: To, yeah, well, into like 1940s and
1: 1950s culture in America, which needed, it needed some Adams family. Well done. That was a hell of a start. Thanks. Well done. (laughs) A life well lived. All those ladies, all those B&Es. Come on. You know
0: what's funny is when he died, he, I guess he had parked his car, I don't know, at their Manhattan apartment. I'm not sure where he was, but he had parked his car. And he had the heart attack in the car. And in his obituary, his wife is quoted as saying, He did love cars, so I guess it's not a bad way to go. Like, <laughs> like these are kind of people <laughs> with like just a good sense of humor.
1: I love it. That's a great story.
0: So I'm gonna try to learn more about the his ongoing relationship with his second ex wife.
1: <laughs> Cause that sounds trashy. It sound or Or maybe that was what she got in the
0: divorce. Maybe,
1: yeah. Like if it was signed over and he's like, all right, I got plenty of money. That's You can keep that and let's not... Yeah, could be. Interesting. Could be. I'm looking forward to your legal legal skills on that one. Yeah. Well done.
0: Maybe he thought of her as like a business partner more than a romantic one. And so her leaving wasn't a giant thing. I don't know. Very interesting. Very interesting. She's definitely painted as diabolical in all the writing about him that I could find. So I don't know. Maybe it was terrible.
1: This series is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Could be. Hope y'all enjoyed the first episode of Trashy Adam's Family Values. He's
0: kooky and he's ooky and all together spooky.
1: All right. That's it for us, I think. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Keep your hands clean.
0: And your hearts. Keep your masks on. Your Halloween masks.
1: (laughs) That too. And your heart's trashy. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and your support and your awesomeness. We can't wait to catch you on the other side. And now for another edition of The Swans. The Swans, are ladies who lunch series. Mm-hmm. Like I don't wanna have favorites, but <laughs> gah. today we are here to talk about probably <laughs> one of the lesser known swans. We've we done are the flashy ones. Gathered here today. Right for the Ladies Who Lunch series. We've talked about the We've mm-hmm. talked about the flashy ones. Carol Grace Marcus Soroyan Mathow. A little yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. That's gonna be a fun story. Pick that apart a little. Carol Grace, okay. Marcus, uh huh. okay. Married name. Mathow, married name. Hmm. She's a September 11th baby. Before September 11th became what it mm. means to become, she was born in 1924. Yeah. So okay, she got a jump start on that. Yeah. I had a boss who had a September
0: 11th birthday, and That's- she was in college when. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. The date became.
1: A so day, huh? Carol does not have that lingering over her but mm-hmm. she is probably the least known of the swans and I think the most key. So for our uh, breakfast at Tiffany's book club attendees when we talked about what, what what do we think happened to Holly? This is this is my hope. Oh god, y'all are going to like Treeman just for an hour. <laughs> okay. Early life. When we talk about it, Carol's life will start out exceptionally different than how she will live it. She has a beautiful mother, Roshin. Roshin is 16 when she gets pregnant with Carol. Roshin is thrown out of the home. Oh, Roshin does not know who the biological father is. Okay. Wow. But it doesn't take long for another man because Roshin is 16 and exceptionally beautiful. I was going to say that's, that seems like she, I just, I just read the (laughs) stories. Doesn't take long for Roisin to find another man to fall in love with her and marry her.
0: Who's not her father. Who's not her father. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: But she becomes pregnant again shortly after that wedding. And uh, the mother and stepfather, Carol's new stepfather, will bring the new baby girl home from the hospital. And the stepfather will point at Carol in her crib in the corner and say, now we can put that one up for adoption. Oh, my God. And Roisin, Mama says, honey, hold the baby just for a minute. And then she grabs her coat and purse, wraps Carol up in a blanket, and carries Carol out right then and never goes back. Wow. Mm -hmm. The baby girl that was left with her father immediately is put into a foster home. This is during the depression. Like I
0: don't know if this is a good
1: story or not. Oh, it starts terrible. It's okay. going to get worse before it gets better. Okay, I'm, just, I'm letting you know.
0: Heads up, everybody. There's
1: a happy. There's a happy thing. Mm. There is a bow at the end with some happy, but no. Carol's life is is just terrible. So this is during the depression uh, to support herself and baby Carol. Roisin is going to work in a hat factory and. While working hours without any kind of family support, right, Carol is boarded out into foster homes. And Carol will remember them as ugly places, bleak places, full of faceless, impoverished families just trying to survive. And Carol will learn how to, quote, be there without being there. She becomes very good at making herself a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. self-preservation invisibility cloak. So one day... Carol is taken to visit mom, and there's a man sitting in mom's living room waiting for her to dress, and he asked Carol. And when she realized he was smiling and kind, she kind of talked to him. This guy's name is Charles Marcus. Roisin had met him on a blind date, and Carol's life is about to drastically change because Charles Marcus is an aviation pioneer and will co-found the Bendix Corporation. Okay. Carol's mom, Roisin, Marcus. Very soon after. And Carol will describe this change in her life as going to sleep in Dickensian squalor and waking up in the Queen's box on opening day of the Ascot races near London. Hmm. Like it is that. So Carol and her mom will move into Charles Marcus's 18 room duplex at 1107 5th. Avenue. Okay, so do they? City. Do they
0: only have access to nine rooms or? (laughs) I
1: think they can get all 18. This building at 1107 Fifth Avenue is also the same building where Marjorie merriweather Post Uh, lives. Okay. So now Carol, coming from destitute squalor.
0: So she's moving on up.
1: Moving on. They're all moving on up. Now they have servants. Jewelry, expensive schools. I
0: mean, as they should.
1: Well, Carol, like, is little. Like, her hour-to-hour worries are over. But the worry that she begins to build that this new life and its security is going to disappear just as fast. Sure. Never ends. Two years later, Carol's mom finally gets around to telling Charles, her husband, that, you know, it turns out I have another daughter who's in foster care. And Charles Marcus, like, good guy, family retrieves Carol's younger half-sister, Eleanor. She'd been lucky because she had loved the family she was with. She'd been well taken care of. And Carol said she came home so pretty and plump she looked like Snow White. Mm -hmm. So Eleanor had a little bit better of a time Mm -hmm. in her foster care situation. But now the whole family's back together.
0: Kind of feel bad for the foster parents, right? Like, I, I realize it's, you know... It's a foster situation, but still,
1: you know. Oh, hi, Inman. Thanks for your help, buddy. He's totally into helping. Hi, bud. Okay, so where Truman Capote is kind of my number two after fuck off Scott Fitzgerald, maybe three after Ernest Hemingway, I'm going to tell you, anytime I can tell you a nice thing about Truman Capote, I'm going to. So Truman Capote does a lot of dining out on this poor hit kid from Alabama abandoned left behind. Mm -hmm. I would like you to know that Carol and Truman meet when they're both 13 years old because Truman is living in near Carol with his mom and his new stepfather, Mr. Capote, like in Manhattan, going to the best schools, like totally still getting neglected by Lily May. She's terrible, but he's got a bad mom. Anyway, Mm -hmm. Carol and Truman meet when they're 13. And Truman's coming over after school in the afternoons to visit Eleanor. Okay, they're friends. Great. Now, Carol, studious, eager to please her parents, she'll come home from school every day and just begin studying. Like, she comes home, hits the books, gets her work out of the way, and then her routine is to run a bath and change for dinner. Because that's what she did. You changed for dinner. So one day... When Carol is getting out of the bath, Carol hears a noise, and she looks up to find a face with pink cheeks, yellow hair, and the bluest blue eyes she had ever seen looking through the window. She screams. Yeah. Naturally. Mm-hmm. And Carol's trying to decide if she should grab the blankets off her bed to cover herself up or get a robe, and the face says, stop, stop. He continues the appeal. Saying, quote, please don't move, please. You are directly from the moon. Oh my god. I've never seen anyone look like you. Your skin is made of moonbeams. You are lit from within. No, no. Don't move. Stay as you are, exactly. Please, I ask this with all my heart. Obviously, Carol's a little stunned and Mm -hmm. a little too shocked to do anything, so she just stands there. And blonde, blue-eyed window peeker Mm -hmm. will continue and say... He's a peeping true. (laughs) You must never forget that you do not belong here. You can see it yourself if you look in the mirror. You are moonlight. No question about it. That's where you're from. I have watched you for so many afternoons just to see the moonbeams. You are directly from the moon. How did you ever get here? Whoa. Truman is 13. Yeah. I'm not sure how to take that. made of moonbeams. It's not sexual. Right. Like this is, so this is where I take umbrage with like, Holly's a manic pixie dream girl. She's not, there's no sexual feeling between the narrator and Holly. This isn't like Truman is just, you are made of moonbeams. So after that day, Truman comes to see Carol almost every day. They go on walks. They dance to the hit parade on the radio. And Carol will say that Tremond would always say the sweetest things to her. You are magic. It's like a valentine to be near you. They have, Carol and Treemann, a deep and lifelong friendship. She is one of the few friends that he will have until he dies. Even until the end of his life, he will always greet her saying, yes, sweetness, you are still from the moon that that's a little tender hearted. You're, you're touched. Oh,
0: for sure. Yeah. 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 It's just the, the peeping Tom aspect
1: is creepy, but of their relationship. Carol will say, I told him all of my secrets. He told me some of his. So, all right. The story goes everywhere and I love it so hard because it connects. There's no way the story would have been as impactful two years ago, because let me tell you about Carol's best friends, Gloria Vanderbilt and Una (sighs) O'Neill. What? Carol meets her two best friends early in life, Gloria Vanderbilt, Una O'Neill, who will go on to marry Charlie Chaplin. Carol says it's the bond of orphans because none of them had fathers, kind of each in their own way, but that's kind of how they all get together. Gloria will grieve for her father her whole life. Gloria believes she remembers him Although she's a baby, she's, mm-hmm. you know, a year old. She's an infant when he dies. And Gloria will always believe that her father loved her. Una's father, if you remember, the famous playwright Eugene O'Neill, had left her mother when Una was practically a baby, and she rarely saw him after that. So Una doesn't ever believe her dad loved her. Got a lot of imago. <laughs> Carol in this sitch is probably the luckiest of the three with her father's situation. Even though she never knows who her real father is, she had been rescued by this wonderful stepfather who she will happily call daddy. And like, so all three very different relationships. Carol will describe their bond as all three trying to make up for early years of darkness. All three had the desire And need for only one thing. Want to guess what it is on Valentine's Day week? (laughs) Love. Carol says they spent all their lives in pursuit of it. Just love. Uh, She admits that it didn't always work, but that it did sometimes. And the three of them have an unbreakable bond even after Una's death. So Carol meets Gloria at a party (laughs) that she had at her Aunt Gertrude's house in Westbury, Long Island. Carol said that Gloria was always more sophisticated than her and Una. She said she was lovely, tender-hearted, and sweet. Carol will meet Una through activities that their moms make them attend, which are considered... Proper things for girls of their age and position to do. Here's your pre-Deb workbook. Dance classes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Neither of them liked any of those things that they were doing. So they feel like wallflowers. So they will take solace in each other for all these prim proper what girls do kind of things.
0: Needlepoint
1: again. (laughs) So throughout their teenage years, these girls have like just sweet friendships. They're doing normal young girl things. Carol and Una are the most studious and they go home and do homework together. They spend hours discussing books and theories and writers and Carol will recall Una having comments about any author Carol was reading, right? So T.S. Eliot, Una said, you're wasting your time with him. He's an (laughs) anti-Semite. If Carol were reading, look, she knows, right? If Carol's reading Ernest Hemingway, Una would tell her that, she didn't like the fake hair on his chest. Oh, my God. However, Carol did not read William Saroyan because she thought he was boring and dead. Just keep that name in your your hat. So, in 1941, when the girls are still teenagers, remember Gloria goes to California to spend time with her mom. And one October afternoon, ringy-dingy on the phone, Carol phone for you, and it's Gloria. And she's calling to say, 17-year-old stupid (laughs) Gloria Vanderbilt, I found the man of my dreams. Oh, no. His name is Pat DeSico. Oh, no. He's a failed talent agent and mobster. And a mobster. (laughs) And they're going to get married in December. Of course they are. So Gloria asks Carol to come to California and be one of her bridesmaids. And Carol is surprised but excited for Gloria and wants to know everything about her fiancé. And her girl gang is all looking for love. And Gloria explains that, God, Pat DeCicco, he's wonderful and handsome and he works for Howard Hughes. He is just, quote unquote, divine. Carol flies to California in December to be in Gloria's wedding. She will meet Gloria's mother, Gloria. Remember (laughs) Gloria Sr. Carol describes her as very passive in a lovely way, beautiful and sweet. Lots of parties leading up to the wedding, all attended by Hollywood actors and famous people. All the ushers at the wedding were Hollywood's leading men. The <laughs> Carol's escort for all of the of Vanderbilt wedding events—you want to just guess who are date? Who are uh, dance card already filled? You've got a date to take you to everything. Errol Flynn.
0: Oh God, I mm-hmm. never would have. Okay.
1: So at the reception, Carol catches the bridal bouquet and believes in her young and naive, tender, tender heart that it will mean something. <laughs> and she also believes that Gloria's marriage will be blissful and will last forever because Gloria was so full of hope and love. And everything Gloria does is going to work out well because it's Gloria, right? After the wedding, yeah, How's that, mom how's that go out to L.A to spend time with her and the two will rent a penthouse and enjoy visiting friends of Carol's mom. And Carol plans to become an actress and she's like, let me make some connections while I'm here. I've oh got it all comes back around. You're not even ready. So one night Carol's mom and her friend, Lee Wiley, who is a popular singer at the time are going out to dinner with band leader Artie, Artie Shaw. Shaw. Mm-hmm. Carol's impressed by this. Because during that time, band leaders kind of a big deal; they're huge stars. So Artie Shaw shows up at the door, and look, Carol's starstruck; she's super impressed. So Carol greets Artie Shaw. Well, and
0: Artie had like a really ridiculous number of wives, right? Like he was kind of irresistible too. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah. We yeah. talked about him. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Numerous. A few he, he touches a few. He's got some spider butts uh-huh. all on his own. Sure. Some spider butt strings, old Artie Shaw. (laughs) All right. That's how they fly, though. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) Okay. So Carol will greet Artie Shaw. The two begin to talk. And he asks her, what are you doing in California? And she's like, "Ah, I'd like to become an actress. So he's asking about her previous acting experience. And she says, well, I just finished acting in a play called Jim Dandy by William Soroyan. Hmm. Wouldn't you know it? Artie Shaw's best friend is William Soroyan. Hmm. And Artie tells Carol, hey, you're never going to believe this, but uh, William Soroyan is in fact not dead, like (laughs) you think. He is my best friend. Do you want to meet him? Christ. Carol, say no. Say no. Don't do it. But Carol does. Meet the Pulitzer Prize winner, William Soroyan, for the first time, and she is shocked to find him attractive. And brooding and passionate, with black hair and eyes, Carol says of that first meeting, (laughs) he looked like a gangster, sinister and dark. Ooh, I thought, he's rotten. It's wonderful. (laughs) Now, William Mm -hmm. Soroyan, Pulitzer Prize winning writer, just put put this line in your in your uh stack. Seroyan will shake Carol's hand in introduction and he says, "You look like vanilla ice cream and pink rose petals. You're made of moonbeams, mm-hmm. right?" He's 33, she's 16. That's in,
0: perfect for that era.
1: In his defense, she lies and says she's 18. So he is unaware that the Child made of vanilla ice cream and pink rose petals is, in fact, still a little underage.
0: It was also the 40s, and I feel like it was just a little more common for...
1: It's like 1940. Yeah, Yeah.
0: big age gaps to... Okay. Not that it's uncommon now. It just, I don't know, I think it was just less... Was it less remarked on? I don't know, but
1: anyway. Carol claims that she falls in love with Soroyan that night. She falls in love with everything about him. Um, Think Mr. Rochester, right? His looks, his scent, his sense of humor, but especially his words. Carol had never heard anyone use words like that that way, except... Truman Capote. Peeping true, right? Peeping true. All right. So for the next month, Carol's in LA. The two spend much of their time together. And Carol assumes when she goes back to New York with her mom that she's not going to see William Soroyne anymore. Carol's like, he really needed a girl who he could sleep with. And I was too scared to be that girl. Carol does hear from Soroyan again. And it is not long before he comes to New York to see her.
0: Really? Does he have some business to attend to? And while he's
1: in town, they could maybe get a bite? So on one of their first dates in New York, Soroyan takes Carol to a party given by a Filipino poet. And she walks in the party and Carol sees three women. She describes the first one as huge, dressed in a big black silk dress, looking like a great big black bat. Hmm. The next woman described tiny, bony, wrinkled and bird-like, wearing a turban covered in diamond pins. The third woman, sitting in the middle, very pretty, wearing a garden party dress and a hat made of lace flowers and ribbons. The big black bat yelled in an upper-class English accent, Soroyan, come over here. And the tiny bird-like one peeped, yes, Soroyan, do. Do come over here. Bring that little beauty over here to see us. How
0: many witches were there in Mackers? Three.
1: Hmm. Last, the garden flower in the middle smiled and gestured for the two to come over. So the big black bat is Edith Sitwell. Okay. The tiny bird is Baroness Karen Blixen, who will write under the pen name of Isaac Dennison? Okay. Okay. You've talked about her. Okay. The garden flower in the middle is Marianne Moore. All right. So she wrote out of Africa as Isaac Denison. Okay. So Bill and Carol go over, introductions are made, and the ladies ask Soroyan, what are you doing with such a little girl? And he laughs and says, She's legal. It's all right. I'm going to marry her. Hmm. And, Edith Sitwell says, What makes you think that that's all right? So she tells William Saroyan to go mingle and uh, leave the little girl with us. So Carol stays with these three ladies who seem to be completely fascinated with the by witches her. from Mackers. Okay. She sits on the floor looking up at them and they make little curls in her hair. They look in her purse. They play with her dress. These three grand ladies riddle her with questions about herself but also why she was with that old man, Soroyan. And Carol says she's in love with him and they're going to get married. And the ladies try to discourage her. Oh, how dreadful, says the bony bird. Does he tell you pretty things? asks the big black bat. Do you know how different it is to have a bow than it is to get married? They are very different things and they deserve some thought. I have a feeling that you have not thought about these things enough. Do you think I'm right? Bubble, bubble, toil, and trouble. Flower in the middle. Mm-hmm. Carol stays with them throughout the whole party. Soroyan comes to get Carol at the end of the evening, and Carol kisses each of them goodbye. And as she bends over to kiss them, each woman discreetly hands her, Carol, a small piece of paper. And Carol puts the pieces of paper in her purse and Bill Soroyan doesn't see like the passing of these notes. Mm-hmm. So later that night, Carol gets home and she takes out the three pieces of paper in each of these three grand older lady dames. Your offspring shall be Kings of Scotland. No, had written down their full names, addresses and phone numbers. Mm. And each had also written a small message. You can come stay with me always. Wow. You don't have to stay with him is there something wrong with saroyan that they
0: know and she doesn't are let we me build my getting to that
1: tense come on it all you know me do you ha- have enough trust that it's all going to come back around baby i mean i'm just i'm, I'm
0: just laying out the trash candy for you i'm genuinely curious um because when the witches from mackers are like actually
1: <laughs> you in danger girl so many years later after having, wait on it, mm-hmm. married and divorced William Soroyan mm-hmm. twice. Yikes. <laughs> I got you. Trust. Mm-hmm. Baroness Karen Blixen sees Carol mm-hmm. and she remembers their first meeting. And mm-hmm. she says to Carol, why, Carol, you didn't grow up. And the Baroness told Carol that she was dying And Carol will tell the Baroness about her tough years with Soroyan. And the Baroness tells Carol that's what she and Edith Sitwell and Marianne Moore had been trying to tell her the day they met. Carol told Blixen about Walter Matthau, that she loved him so much that it didn't matter to her that he was married. And Karen Blixen looks at Carol and says, if he loves you, it will matter to him. Hmm. Okay, you want more? You, oh yeah, you want more story? Okay. So Carol does fall in love with Bill Soroyan quickly, intensely. Like it's teenage love. Um, she recalls the terrible feeling when he was drafted and leaves for the army. There it was, love. Worst of all, it was first love. There's no love like that. I don't wish it on a soul. <laughs> I don't hate anyone enough. <laughs> Bill calls her that night on his way to basic training. Kid, I'm not going to make it without you. I love you. I want to talk to your mother and see if she'll send you out to meet my family so you and I can get married. There's no one like you. Her mom agrees to talk it over with Carol's dad and informs that if she goes, her parents would have to send a chaperone along with her. And so Carol replies, telling her mom that she'd already slept with Bill. Everything changes. Okay. Now, her mother... Now, expected that Carol not only go on that trip to meet Bill's family, but she also has to marry him. Yeah. Una goes with her. Now, after only spending a very short amount of time with William Soroyan, Una, cleverly smart, says, You're smart. You see through him, don't you? I wouldn't even have dinner with him if it weren't for you. He's not very nice. Well, wow. mm-hmm. Regardless of Una's opinion on Bill, Carol was ecstatic the next day when she was able to tell Una that Bill had asked her to marry him. Carol also will tell Una about the one condition Bill put on the proposal. He wouldn't marry Carol until she proved she could bear a child for him. How do you prove that? Once she got pregnant, they could get married. Friend. (laughs) Carol complies. The two were married on February 20th, 1943, in a courthouse ceremony. Everyone thought Carol was making a mistake. Mm, really? I'm it surprised. It does not take Carol long to realize that all those people, girl, were you're in danger. Right. Did
0: the witches from Macrish show up and sit in the back with a <laughs> cauldron?
1: Their son, Aram, was born September 25th, 1943. Bill, no surprise, was unkind emotionally right hmm. to Carol from the start. The neglect and verbal abuse were soon to follow. For the least infractions, uh, Bill, this was his move. He would refuse to speak to Carol for days and sometimes weeks. Insults were a common occurrence. So he really liked telling Carol that she was a liar. <laughs> I don't think Carol Seroy ever lied in her life. Like she's just not the lying kind. Bill would explode with anger if Carol ever said she was too tired to have sex which she didn't do very often because sex was one of the only times that Bill was civil to her. Over the course of their relationship, Bill's verbal assaults become nastier, more frequent, increasingly crueler as the days go on. And as these things often do, the abuse escalates and will at some point turn from emotional and mental to physical. Saroyan will hit and choke Carol He will throw her down a flight of stairs one time in front of her children. So once uh, Bill's mom and sister come to visit and they had not suspected that Carol had learned to understand and speak Armenian and would just talk about Carol in Armenian. Wow. In front of Carol. So every night at dinner during that extended stay, Carol just listens to them say terrible things about her in Armenian. And Carol said that it was when she realized what she had gotten into. Carol said that that was when she realized what she had gotten into. Because not only did she hear the awful things that Bill's mom and sister said about her, but Bill is replying with awful things as well. Well, that is, uh, oh, that's horrifying. Come on. This is Roisin's daughter. Once when Carol had finally had enough, she interrupted one of these dinner conversations and announced in Armenian that she'd been taking Armenian lessons. Mm -hmm. And I know everything you're saying about Mm me. You don't mess with Roshin's daughter. It's still horrifying. I mean... Horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. In addition to everything else, Bill Soroyan was... Come on, guess. An abuser and... Alcoholic? Gambler. A gambler. Gambler. I mean, the list is... Shortish, but... No, no, I don't know. Bill Soroy and his writers go, you know what, beat Streaming Company and Ernest Hemingway any day, because this is his move. Bill once purposely gambles all of their money away because he's having writer's block and tells Carol that, you're going to love this as a writer, quote, a writer needs to be behind the eight ball. I've never done any writing when I've had money, unquote. Um, The issue here is uh actually men.
0: Like... <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Like this is I just don't think that any woman writer has ever
1: expressed that sentiment in her life. God, I just don't write well when I don't have food or heat or a roof over my head. Right. Like Jesus. Oh my god. Okay, but hold on. Here's the here's the double vision move. Once they're broke, Bill will blame Carol for allowing him to do it. Well, obviously. And it's her fault now that he's under all this pressure. <sighs> mhm. So Bill does go overseas for a few weeks and Good. Carol <laughs> decides to get uh, dirty books to read while he's gone. Okay. Like a so, little
0: Harlequin romance kind of?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she's reading them and she's reading about women having orgasms and she's really confused because she's like, what is that? That's a scientific impossibility. Like women <laughs> don't have orgasms. So she reads a lot of these dirty books and she gets upset and she calls Gloria her BFF. Mm, sure. And she tells Gloria's Butler Orlando that the matter is urgent, uh-huh. and he needs to interrupt her from dinner right now to take a call. So Gloria is like, "Drop the fucking right. fork!" Right? Hurries to the phone, worried What's wrong? that something had happened. Yeah. <laughs> Carol reads her about the like women having or- or- orgasms, and Gloria's like, "Uh huh, yeah." So, and Carol's frustrated, and she's like. What do you mean? Yeah, so you know that girls don't come, and Gloria is stunned, naturally, and reveals the big secret that, yes, in fact, women do have orgasms. I feel like the problem here is her husband. So after six years of marriage and two oh kids- Oh, my God. Mm-hmm, daughter Lucy is born in 1946. It is not Carol who files for a divorce. It is Bill. Mm-hmm. Carol had become numb to his behavior. She'd stopped caring. And once she stopped coddling him and telling him how wonderful he was, he no longer wanted to be married to her. So he comes home and announces that he's divorcing her. And she says, I don't really care. I wouldn't bother getting a divorce. Uh, She said she'd keep the children, but that the 30 cents they had left was all his. (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) All right, so in some epic gaslighting by your friends, ironically, it would only be two years later when Bill Soroyan would convince Carol to marry him for the second time. (sighs) He'd been pressuring her for a while. Once he realizes that she's having relationships with other men and he is naturally incensed and he will use the kids to help manipulate Carol to remarry him, he will recruit Charlie Chaplin, who is now married to mm-hmm. her BFF, Una, Una, to help persuade Carol. Chaplin prepares a long and intense spiel <laughs> about why... But as
0: a silent film star, he had nothing to say.
1: <laughs> why Carol should reunite with Seroyan, and it starts with Dear Carol and ends with, You must do the right thing, and there's only one right thing. Go back. The two remarry in 1951. <laughs> now... The dynamic, I'm mad about it. The dynamic of the second marriage is different. Carol's on guard. She's always ready to retaliate. Yeah. And she quickly decides that she doesn't want to live that way second time around last six months. Okay. I respect a boundary. Carol will write, I don't think marriages break up because of what you do to each other. They break up because of what you must become in order to stay in them. Hmm, That's That's wise, right? mm Mm-hmm. One day, Carol looks Soroyne in the eye and says, I'm sick of you. <laughs> and Roshin's daughter grabs her shit and never looks back. Whew, now we're getting to the happy times. Oh, good. Okay. Well, okay. Ish. I mean, we're it's, it's moving along. So after the second divorce, Carol and the kids move into an apartment. Carol's stepfather, her dad, agrees to pay for the children's health care and education expenses, but nothing else. Carol supports them by acting taking small parts in TV and in the New York theater scene. The theater. Theater. She also will write a novella, The Secret in the Daisy, using the name Carol Grace during this time. The novella, The Secret in the Daisy, was based on Carol's childhood. So while doing a play in New York, Carol will meet her old friend, Peeping True, at the Gold Key Club for drinks and long talks. Truman tells her about his new BFFs, Babe Paley and Slim Keith, all the other socialites. But neither Truman nor Carol sleep that much. So they'd stay out all night. And at 7 a.m., they would walk to Fifth Avenue where a man with a cart would sell them donuts and coffee and they'd continue walking. They would end up in front of Tiffany's eating their donuts and drinking their coffee. And they would stare at the diamonds and gold Then they would walk to the plaza and sit on the steps of the fountain. During these talks, Truman encourages Carol to sleep with some of the rich men who were always trying to sleep with her. He tells her it would solve a lot of her problems. (laughs) She told him she could never sleep with anyone that she didn't love. And he says, you're naive. In 1955, Carol will meet an up-and-coming Broadway performer named Walter Matthau. It's funny to think of Walter Matthau and our collectiveness as a young up and coming. Yeah, that's not, I have no visual on that. So He is starring in a play called Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter at the time. Carol had also been cast in it and she had never heard of Walter Matthau before, nor had anyone outside of the Broadway or theater world. It's going to be years before he becomes a movie star or household name. Matthau, unhappily married. Carol, actively dating lots of people. But Carol finds Walter to be intelligent and kind. And the two share this kind of raunchy sense of humor and just have this really easy conversation uh, between them. So Carol, after never having had in her life a one-night stand, Carol decides Walter will be the perfect candidate. How do you think that goes? Instead of a one night stand, Carol falls deeply and hopelessly in love with him. So it goes terribly as
0: one night stands go.
1: Well, she, (laughs) she had no way of knowing at the time of this one night stand that she would stay deeply and hopelessly in love with him for the rest of her life. Hmm. Sometimes, you know, Carol describes Walter as having the ultimate sexuality with the most beautiful romanticism. Hmm. She said they slept together everywhere and said that never changed, even as they both were well into their senior years. The affair goes on for four years before they're married. Carol resigns herself to be with him, even if they never were married. She feels like, I'm never going to be happy without him. Back to Karen Blixen, right? If you matter to him, it's going to matter to him.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it
1: eventually does. Mathow, although he does have all these great qualities, he is a gambler, just like Soroyan. Carol doesn't really care. The two finally do marry in 1959. And Gloria and Truman are both unhappy about Carol's decision. They think Carol is making a terrible mistake to marry a poor actor who (laughs) cannot provide her with the lifestyle that they feel she deserves. All right. Marriage to Walter Matthau. Early in their marriage, the couple have a lot of pressures. They each have shitty ex-spouses. They each have two kids from previous marriages. They're kind of broke, right? First six years of their marriage, Walter does not gamble. But it was only because he's so in debt from gambling that he'd done earlier that the bookies would never take a bet for him. The couple will welcome their only child together, a son named Charles, in December of 1962. Walter continues to be successful on stage he's nominated for a tony in 1959 he wins tony awards in 1962 and 1965 walters big movie breakthrough would happen when the play he had won a tony for in 1965 was made into a movie and the play and the movie were called the odd couple you got it mm-hmm. and after the movie comes out walter uh-huh. Maubau household name done one of hollywood's most successful successful actors right mm-hmm. Now, Walter will begin gambling again after the first part of their marriage, but Carol never confronts him about it. I wanted him to be happy. I overlooked it. Well, and if he's not like putting the family finances at risk, then, Eh, you know, have your fun. It's a foible. Carol is very good friends with Maureen Stapleton. There are a lot of really good stories about her that I didn't cover here, but Maureen Stapleton will say of Carol's tolerance and complacence. That she has the gifts of a born courtesan. So Walter and Carol become part of the Hollywood establishment. And they're one of the few couples who have a happy, long-lasting marriage. They're married for 41 Hmm. years until Matthau's death in 2000. They're good friends with Jack Lemmon and his wife, Felicia. Mm -hmm. Felicia will say of Carol, I never met a woman before I met Carol who could really let her imagination go. Carol is deeply affected by the death of her lifelong friend, Una. She will spend a great deal of time with her after Charlie Chaplin's death, visiting her in Switzerland and having Una come and stay with her in California. Although Una's cause of death in 1991 was pancreatic cancer, this is 14 years after Charlie Chaplin's death, Carol maintains always that Una died of a broken heart. After never having recovered from his death, Hmm. Carol will mourn Una the rest of her life. In reflecting upon the close friendship that she has with Gloria Vanderbilt and Una Chaplin, Carol will write, They were those opalescent girls who danced through beautiful romantic nights. They both had wonderful minds, although utterly different. Gloria made more choices than Una and I. In a way, she has lived more. She has tried more. She is interested in more. But Una and I were luckier. At some point in their adulthood, Carol does become estranged from her Soroyan kids. Neither the kids nor Carol ever comment on the cause of the estrangement. The Soroyan kids, not surprisingly, are also estranged from their father. (laughs) Yeah. Aram Soroyan wrote a book, Trio, Una Chaplin, Carol Matthau, and Gloria Vanderbilt, Portrait of an Intimate Friendship, in 1985. He is a successful poet and writer. Her daughter, Lucy Soroyan, is an actress, later becomes a photographer. She passes away in 2003, three months before her mom, due to cirrhosis of the liver, Hmm. due to hepatitis C. Carolyn Walter's son, Charlie, is a director of film and television movies. He will direct a movie adaptation of Truman Capote's novella, The Grass Harp, in 1995. He remains close to their parents until their death. Hmm. I love this. Uh, of getting older, Carol writes, One finally shows up on one's own face after a certain age, and it is that appearance of you on your face that makes all the difference. There is no old age. There is, as there always was, just you. Hmm. Is that lovely? Yeah. I love Carol Soroyan. Mathow. Carol (laughs) Grace, Marcus Soroyan Mathow, will die at the age of 78 on July 21st, 2003, of a cerebral aneurysm. She is buried in the same grave as Walter in Westwood Village Memorial Cemetery in Los Angeles. If you were interested in... Carol Matthau, if any of this sounds great, I cannot recommend her book enough. It is called Among the Porcupines. It's released in 1992. Did use some other sources for this with a big shout out to Melissa O oh for her just finding the best nuggets of research. Thank you for that. Was she betrayed in Truman's final. No. She's okay. mentioned in the basket, but it's no, okay. not anything like she's made of moonbeams, mm-hmm. made of moonbeams. So when I, I don't know, for our breakfast at Tiffany's, book lovers, when you look at the fascination and sort of reverence and complicated relationship that the narrator has with Holly Go Lightly, I think Holly is at least one third Carol, made of moonbeams and magic. I think it's a third Truman's mom. And I think it's a third all the other swans and the cast of characters around. But Jose, William Soroyan, right? A uh, foreign lover who, like, oh God, it's just, it's all so good. It's all so good. I love Carol made of moonbeams. I hope y'all enjoyed that story in the latest installment of The Ladies Who Lunch, the swans edition. Because, but, oh, no, no, not a swan sound. Thanks, everybody. For tuning in, y'all are the very, very best. We can't tell you how much we love you, especially in this week full of Valentine's Day love. And the cats as well. They've both been popping through to say hi. Oh, for sure. They're helpers. So They're always helpers. Friends, thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep your hands wonderfully clean. Wear a couple of masks yeah. over
0: over all the face holes except, you know, your eyes. I did offer you ski goggles though if you were gonna go into a store. So
1: yeah, keep your hearts trashy mm, too. Mm-hmm. We love you. We'll catch you tomorrow for some trashy legal spider butts. And uh, y'all go have a fantastic Tuesday for sure. Woohoo! Bye. Cheers.
0: check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and
1: definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon
0: community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash
1: TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly